Well, we are in a series called Ecclesia, Features of a Faithful Church. This morning is the 10th message in that series as we look to see what makes a church unhealthy or healthy, what makes a church true or false. We want to be attentive to what God's word says. And in the second message of this series, we saw from the word that Jesus builds his church with the gospel. And that is not just seeing um, unbelievers become believers, but also believers for the rest of our lives growing and strengthened deeper by the gospel. And then the last two weeks, we have taken our attention to the central feature of a faithful church that all the other faithful features flow from, and that is the centrality of preaching all of Christ from all of Scripture. And so the past two weeks, we've looked at the responsibilities that we as a church have in guarding the preaching of the word. And last week, we looked at the responsibilities for the preacher of the word. Now, this morning, and Lord willing, next week, we will turn our attention to you, the hearers of the word preached. Does the Bible have anything to say at all about your responsibility of hearing the word of God taught and preached? And if so, what are they? And are there dangers associated in your own hearts with hearing the word? There are, and we will look at those this week and next, Lord willing. So with that said, if you have a Bible, would you please join me in two places this morning? We're looking at a number of texts But our main passages are twofold, Mark chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 5. Mark chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get one into your hands. Please raise your hand. No shame in not having one. Please feel free to keep this. Raise your hand high and Elder Scott will get you a Bible shortly. Mark chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 5 are our main text this morning. The subtitle for taking notes is Hearing and Receiving All of Christ from All of Scripture. I'm simply going to read one verse to open our time, pray, and then we'll get into the Word. So here's the one verse. This is Mark 4.24. Jesus says, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Father, you have given us the gift of salvation in your Son, and you've given us the gift of the gospel and good news that Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves by living and dying and rising in our place and offering salvation freely to all who will repent and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. Father, you have done this. And Lord Jesus, you and the Father have poured out your spirit upon us to seal us as your body and bride and temple and family and more. And so we pray that you would give us Lord Jesus, those attentive ears that you command of us. So Lord, give what you command this morning. And let us have 
ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to feast upon your word. To that end, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. All of God's people said, amen. Two friends. Two friends have been believers about the same length of time, and they both have sat under the same preaching for about the same length of time. But if you were to look at these two friends, one friend is flourishing and the other is stagnating. The first who's flourishing is eager each Sunday to arrive and to know more of Christ from all of the word. But the other says, I'm just not getting fed. How is it that two people can sit under the same word preached and have responses that are worlds apart? The sermon ends, a small line forms to speak with the pastor after the message, and the first in line is a couple in their 50s. With tears in their eyes, they praise God and say that that was the best sermon they had ever heard because they heard so much of Jesus and saw so much more of Jesus. So the commentary was less on the preacher and more on what was preached. Tears in their eyes. They thank the preacher and they move on. And the next person in line is a young man in his 20s with a bone to pick. And his aim is not to help the sermon be stronger if preached again. His aim is to go to war with the preacher, to correct, to argue, and more. Again, two responses. Two people sitting under the same word preached and a world apart of response. Why is it? How is it that two people can sit under the same preaching and one think it's the best they've ever heard and one, in in essence, think it's the worst they've ever heard, one fed, satisfied, and growing, the other grumpy, stagnant, and blame-shifting and ready to leave? How is that possible? How is it that you can speak with a new Christian who's on fire for Jesus, and after five years has more biblical knowledge, more biblical wisdom, and more biblical maturity than a Christian who claims to have been one for 50 years. These are all, sadly, not uncommon real-world experiences. These have been my experiences as a pastor. These are anecdotes from my two decades of ministry and anecdotes similar from other brother pastors in their ministries. This sadly is not uncommon. How can this be? And the answer from the Bible is this, the ears of the heart. The ears of the heart. Listen, the condition of your heart is ultimately what determines the usefulness of the preached word in your life. Let me say that again. The condition of your heart is ultimately what determines the usefulness of the preached word in your life. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God saves. We are turning our attention to how the word speaks to us in the 
dailiness of our humanity before Christ. We have spent these last two weeks looking at preaching and the responsibilities of preaching and the preacher. Now we are turning our attention to the responsibilities the word gives you as a hearer of the word. Friends, you must take care how you hear with your heart because your eternity depends upon it. Because how you hear either leads to misery in this life and ruin in the next or joy in this life and glory in the next. The condition of your heart conditions your response to the word preached. And by condition, I mean state, the state of your heart. Is your heart growing in humility? Is your heart growing in teachability? Is your heart growing in hunger for Jesus or is your heart hardening? Is it growing in pride, growing in resistance, growing into indifference towards Christ? Search the Bible and commands to hear or to listen or obey occur so frequently in the Bible that on average they occur every other chapter multiple times of the entire Bible. God has a refrain that he repeats, and that is to listen. Why? Because the condition of your heart conditions your response to the word preached. You, my friends, are responsible for the condition of your heart. Remember the book of Proverbs? Be diligent, keep watch on your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. That's the focus of the message this week and next. Spurgeon, old Spurgeon said, we are told men ought not to preach without preparation, granted. But we add men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands But I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than the preacher. And so I say as we turn to God's word this morning, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what God says about how you hear, and respond to all of Christ from all of Scripture. The outline this morning comes to us in three parts. Number one, pay attention to what you hear. The condition of your heart is central. And for that, we will turn to Mark chapter 4 and segments of, select verses of verses 1 to 25. After we see what Jesus says about what, why we need to hear and the condition of our heart, we'll move to the second point to look at barriers of, of a well-conditioned heart. And that's symptoms of a poorly conditioned heart, dull hearing. For that, we'll turn to Hebrews 5. We'll turn to more next time, Lord willing. And then we will end our time with five ways that you can guard your heart against dull hearing. 
So that's where we're going this morning. If you would, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 25, I'm going to read selection. So actually, let's pick up in verse 3. Jesus is speaking. Listen to this parable and his explanation of it. Mark 4, verse 3. Jesus says, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Down to verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, verse 17. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when trouble Tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the ground, on the good soil, rather, verse 8, verse 20, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus tells us, pay attention to what you hear. And what we see is that the condition of your heart is central. Now, in this parable in Mark 4, Jesus is primarily talking about conversion. He's talking about salvation. That's his main emphasis of those who hear the good news, ultimately, of the kingdom of God. The good news that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The good news that Jesus has lived our lives for us and in our place without sin. The good news that Jesus has gone to the cross and atoned for our sins and risen from the grave and ascended into heaven, is on his throne, poured out his spirit, and he's coming back soon. That's good news. 
That's what he's primarily talking about. What we learn in this parable of the different seeds and the different soils, or really it's the same seed, the word of God, that falls into different soils, we learn that there are false converts who seem to truly believe and follow Jesus for a time. Now, if we were to go to the parallel passage of Luke 8, we would see that the, the soil that Jesus is referring to is the soil of our heart. And we see here in Mark 4 or Luke 8, but here in Mark 4, for some, when a time of testing and difficulty, tribulation, trial comes, when it gets hard, claiming to be a follower of Jesus, they fall away from Jesus because they would rather deny Jesus than stand for Jesus. And so they're proving they were never born again. For others, the cares of the world the riches of the world, the pleasures of the world, as Jesus says in Luke, they prove too alluring, too captivating. And so they show that the person never had true allegiance to Jesus. They, they love or are more concerned about the cares of the world, the riches of the world, and the pleasures of the world more than Jesus. In other words, for all these different types of soils, these different types of hearts, the condition of their hearts never changed, and their hearts ultimately re remained hardened in unbelief. And so if you pause there for a moment, friend, if, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, th this is Jesus speaking to you from his word, calling you to repent and believe, to renounce your old way of life and put on Christ and entrust yourself to him and swear your allegiance to him. It's to not have the soil of a heart that deceives and falls away from Jesus, but is aligned in an allegiance to, Je to Jesus and repents. It's to trust in him for salvation. But the focus of our time is for those of us who are believers. Verses 8 and 20, we see something very interesting of the gospel in the heart of a person following Jesus. What is interesting in verses 8 and 20 is that Jesus shows that believers all produce a harvest. We all produce grain. We all produce fruit. A metaphor for essentially speaking and living in a way that mimics Jesus. But what I find fascinating in these verses is that Jesus says... All Christians bear fruit, but not all Christians bear the same amount of fruit. Some bear 30-fold, some bear 60-fold, some bear 100-fold. My question is, why is there a difference in yield? The answer Jesus gives us is verse 24. Jesus said to them, pay attention to what you hear. And you may recall in the previous verse there, if you can look at verse 23, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. You see, verse 24 gives a connection between the measure you use and it will be measured back to you. So the connections in this long parable and passage the fruitful 
Christian life yielding 30, 60, or 100 is connected to the measure you use. And did you notice that Jesus' command that came right before he said the measure you use is pay attention to what you hear? Or Luke 8, 18 says, take care how you hear. So the first we see that there's a command to anybody who has ears to hear that you must pay attention to what you hear. Or as Luke says, take care how you hear. Because the way that you pay attention or take care then leads to how you measure it. It's another way of saying how you put the word of God in action, how you use it. So first you pay attention to what you hear. Then you do what you hear. You believe it or you do it. And then by God's grace and his spirit, there's a yield of 30, 60, or 100 times. Hearing is directly connected to the fruitfulness of your life for Jesus. That's the essence of what he's getting at. Your hearing is directly connected to the fruitfulness of your life for Jesus. And don't mishear. Meaning, when we hear hearing, we think of a passive endeavor of taking in information, and that's the end of it. But hearing in the Bible is not passive, it's always active. It believes actively and responds actively. It puts on new belief, puts off false belief. It puts off old sinful actions and puts on Jesus. We are not those who we saw last week who look in the mirror, see what we look at like, and turn away and forget what we look like. We actually put the word in action. We show our faith by our works, as James argues. So the word of God is received by faith. This is what Jesus means by hearing. And then you put the word of God into action in your life. That's the measure you use it. And again, the place that all of this takes place is with the ears of your heart. The soil is your heart. The condition of your heart conditions your response to the word preached. And just as Jesus preached back then, 2,000 years ago, we've seen these past two weeks, Jesus still commissions preaching as the central feature of a healthy and faithful gospel church. Things haven't changed. Preaching is still seed sowing. And the seed sowed is sowed into your heart. And friends, what we see from Jesus, he began the parable of the sower with, with the admonition, listen. And two times he says, he who has ears to hear, hear. And then he says, pay attention to what you hear. Can you hear what he's saying to you, to all of us. We all, you personally, have the responsibility from Jesus to hear and pay attention to his word preached and then put into practice in your life. The question before us all, as you sit under the word preached, maybe you're visiting from out of town, you're on your way home after you leave church today, thank you for being with us, you're going to go home and you're going to sit under the word preached, I hope. But as you hear Jesus' words here about the seed and the sower, 
And speaking of us believers, my question to all of us is this. What kind of fruitful yield do you want to give to Jesus? It is interesting that he says some are 30, some are 60, and some are 100. Is that only a providential work of the Holy Spirit of which we have no responsibility? I don't think so. It is certainly that, undeniably. But here we have all these admonitions about the measure with which you use. So the measure that you use, the word preached, is directly connected to the yield of fruitfulness for the glory of Jesus in your life. Are you content with a yield of 30 if you could give 60 for Jesus in his kingdom? Are you content to yield 60 when you could give 100 for Jesus and the glory and fame of his name? Up to this point in your walk with Christ, what type of yield has come as a direct result of the word preached and taught? Are you increasingly, although imperfectly, as you're in the middle of your sanctification with all of the struggles against internal sin and external sin, are you more like Christ and knowing more of Christ than you were five years ago, ten years ago, three decades ago, and more? Is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control more evident in your life? Humility, reasonableness, and more. Are you, are you a better parable of Christ than you were before? Those are all elements of a fruitful life for Jesus. So the condition of your heart conditions your response to the word preached. Remember the two people at the very beginning of the message. One sits under the preaching and flourishes. One sits under the preaching and flounders. Why? The condition of their heart. And they are responsible for their hearts. It's their attitudes and more. So the question stands before us. What are some causes for a true Christian to give a poor yield of fruit in their life? What are some causes that can put your heart into a poor condition? We will look at one this week and then, Lord willing, another next week. And this leads us then to the second point. Symptoms of a poorly conditioned heart, dull hearing. If you would, please join me in Hebrews chapter 5. I think that part of the way the Spirit works with the Word of God and Jesus speaking of these different yields is it causes the true believer to look at that and say, I love and treasure my Savior so much for what He has done in saving me. And I have already all of His infinite favor I don't need to work to earn his favor, but I get to yield fruit to show my love because of his favor. So this is not a works-based form of self-righteousness. But I think that when you see the opportunity to, to, to savor your savor and glorify him and treasure him and make Jesus' name famous and, and to honor the Father and to magnify the Spirit, that the true believer hears that and says, Lord, make me more like you, like you. 
that's what's supposed to happen. And yet, because we're all in the middle of our sanctification, and there are trials and tribulations and difficulties, and there are allurements in this world, and because all of us have remaining sin in our lives, we are in daily danger of growing dull. Hence, we have to be vigilant. And so this next point, we need to guard against dull hearing. Hebrews chapter 5, we will pick up in verse 7. We're going to read down to 6-3, but our attention is verses 11 through 14 of chapter 5. The preacher picks up in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And Jesus was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Pause. Now look at verse 11. About this, we have much to say. Melchizedek and more. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 6 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits, and then on he goes. If you are familiar with Hebrews, if you've read it before, here we picked up in 5.7, but the previous four and a half chapters, he has spent extolling the glory and superiority of Christ, God the Son incarnate, from all of the Bible, basically. And it's as if the preacher is preaching, and he's been talking about Melchizedek for all of chapter 5, and it's as if he looks at his audience's confused faces, and he stops the sermon and shifts gears. In verse 11, he acknowledges about this. It's the gospel of the identity of Jesus. Not just after the order of Melchizedek, but all that he said before about the superiority of Christ of being superior to Moses, superior to angels, and superior and more. And he said, we have much to say about this. Much to say about Jesus, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. We have much to say about this, verse 11, and it's hard to explain. Now, if you look up, Melchizedek, that's hard to spell. 
let alone hard to explain. And then you go on before, and you're like, what is he talking about? Why, why is it hard to explain about Melchizedek? The Bible explains. Verse 11 says, it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Latch on to that word since. It's the most important since you've ever heard in your entire life. Now, what we would expect him to say, at least me, maybe you, if you're like me, we'd expect him to say something in essence like this. Um, yeah, all the stuff about Jesus, it's hard to explain. And because it's so hard to explain, therefore, you've become dull of hearing. If he had said, therefore, you have become dull of hearing, that would mean that the fault of these Christians being dull of hearing, whatever that means, we know it's not good, the fault of these Christians being dull of hearing, if he'd said, it's hard to explain, therefore you've become dull of hearing, that would blame the difficulty of the doctrine. It would be the truth's fault, God's fault, for not doing a better job of clearly explaining what in the world he means about Melchizedek and more. In other words, it would be, this is just too complex. They can't get it, so they become dull of hearing. But that is not what your Bible says. Your Bible says it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, not therefore you've become dull of hearing. That word since can also be translated as for or because. It's hard to explain for you have become dull of hearing. It's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. Why is it hard to understand for these Christians in the book of Hebrews, why is it hard for them to understand that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and that's good news? The difficulty is not with the doctrine. The difficulty is their hearts, the ears of their hearts. The difficulty is because they have become dull of hearing. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with the ears of their hearts. The NIV is very helpful here. Verse 11 says it this way. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Well, those are gentle words. But now think about the responsibilities that we have. This is not just written to these Christians who are in the book of Hebrews. This is written to every Christian. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Or it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. The word dull means sluggish. It means lazy. 
it's connected to immaturity. It's connected to um, indifference. These believers simply don't care about the word of God anymore, and they don't care to put it into practice. And because their hearts don't care, their hearts were moving into a poor condition, and it gave them dull ears, dull hearts. Their heart problem then leads to a cascade of systemic system failure of stunted growth in verses 12 through 14. In verses 12 through 14, the preacher of Hebrews will use metaphors of these Christians getting held back a couple grades, of being adult babies, and out of shape, untrained, benched athletes, to put it in our modern terms. And all of that is a result of them not paying attention and heeding the word preached to them. Look at verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. What's going on there? These Christians had been professing believers long enough from this preacher's vantage point. They had sat under enough preaching and teaching that they should have been, each of them, equipped enough by this time, to be teachers of the word of God. He's not referring to an office in the church. He's talking about the general knowledge of Bible doctrine, knowing all of Jesus from all the word, and being able to explain it and grow others up in it, just as discipleship. So they should have been at a college-level understanding of the Bible, if not graduate-level understanding of the Bible. Instead, they're rebuked. Because they need to learn the ABCs all over again, like toddlers. That's the idea behind that, that phrase, basic principles. It's the idea of getting your grammar all over again, learning to actually speak. And it's also behind the idea of 6-1, where the elementary doctrines. So why did they have this problem? Was it bad preaching? That doesn't seem to be the case. Was it poor teaching? Nope. Was it a lack of access to biblical instruction? Nope. They had allowed themselves to become dull of hearing by allowing poorly conditioned hearts. And so then now the rebuke moves from education to being adult babies. Look at the end of verse 12. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. What does this look like? This looks like us not sitting here together and instead the elders sitting up in the nursery with bottles of formula cradling bearded men in flannels and burping them. That's how absurd this rebuke is. They couldn't even order from the kids' menu and the knowledge of God and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? 
they let their hearts become dull of hearing. They had poorly conditioned hearts, and the preached word did them no good because they didn't want it to do any good for them. And verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This last example is about competing on the team. It's about running your part of the play. It's about the gym, the word idea of gym or gymnasium. They should have been mature in eating steak. Instead, powers of discernment speaks of a skillful life day after day, moment by moment, trial and error of applying and living out God's word in faith. Trained by constant practice means that they are always asking this question. What does the word of God say about this situation? And no verse comes to mind. So then they begin to mine the depths of scriptures and more. Trained by constant practice means that they know the word is true because it proves useful and shows its truthfulness by putting it into practice. And, and really, interestingly, distinguishing good from evil is an allusion to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. In this case, whereas Adam and Eve chose the evil, we as believers eat the word of God and choose the good by putting his word into practice. So the picture here that we're given of, of this is that there should be diligence in your listening to the word preached. There should be devotion to you listening to the word preached. They were supposed to get their reps in and grow strong, and they didn't. Not these Christians. They let their hearts go. They did not keep their hearts with all vigilance. They did not pay attention to what they heard and the measure they used it. Why? The condition of your heart conditions your response to the word preached. And so the question is, my dear friends, is this you? Have you allowed yourself to become a dull hearer, or as the NIV said, you no longer try to understand? I heard a pastor say once that it, any dead fish can go with a stream but it takes a live fish to swim upstream. The world outside of us, the enemy of our souls, our remaining sin wants to fight against our regenerate hearts that love Jesus and want to be devoted to him. The deck is stacked against us in one sense, but then it's not because Jesus is risen and reigning and he will not allow us to stumble and he will say us safely home. Nonetheless, you are responsible to tend to your heart. Do you measure out the word in faith and use it as Jesus indicated earlier? Because these believers did not. And so based on the parable of the sower and the dull hearing of these uh, believers in the book of Hebrews... How then can we actively guard and cultivate the condition of our hearts to receive the word preached and do it so that we yield not 30 but 60, not 60 but 100 for Jesus?
And that brings us then to our last point, point number five. No, point number three. It might feel like five points. You're welcome. Point number three, five ways to guard against growing dull in hearing. And these five points are bringing in what we read from Mark 4 in the parable of the sower, in the type of soil of your heart. And then what we're going to do is we're going to survey some passages in the letter of, in the sermon of Hebrews to see what were the issues in the lives of these believers that led to this dull hearing of their hearts. And then we will apply that to ourselves. Number one, the first way to guard against growing dull in hearing is this. It's about unbelief and not putting the word into practice. We know, and we'll look at this next point, in Hebrews 12, these believers were facing many trials, even persecutions, because they named the name of Jesus. We know from the parable of the soils that some received the word gladly, but when testing and trial came, they simply did not believe. They were moved by the message. They were moved by the preaching. The idea of the gospel seemed great. The news did sound really good, but they simply did not believe and did not put the word into practice. So the first way to guard against growing dull in hearing is to believe what God says more than what your heart feels. To believe what God says more than what your mind thinks. And to believe what God says more than what your life circumstances give you. Because remember, the word of God, it is the light to our path and the lamp to our feet. Not our ingenuity, not our life experience, not our hunches and suspicions. But we must have biblically calibrated hearts. And so the first way to guard against growing dull in hearing is simply to put the word into practice and believe God's word more than yourself and all the other sources of inputs that you have in your life. We'll look at that more in detail next week. The second way that we guard against growing dull in hearing is through responding rightly to trials and difficulties. And so I mentioned in Hebrews 12 that they actually get rebuked because they were looking at the circumstances and landscape and geography of their life, and they did not like the way things were going or the way things were headed. And so they grew faint-hearted. The, the picture we're painted in Hebrews 12 is that they had drooping limbs and out-of-place joints. What's the point? Just as with the seeds and the sower, the trials and difficulties we are prone, we have a propensity to think that the difficulties and trials in our lives is evidence that God is against us and not for us. And the shocking argument that turns that on its head in Hebrews 12 is that, and Romans 5, and all over the whole Bible, is that actually trials and difficulties are proof that God is for us. Because it's God alone who is able to work all things for the good for those who love him are called according to his purpose. But not these Christians. 
They looked at their circumstances and they buckled under the weight and they didn't fall to their knees in prayer. They fell to their knees in unbelief. They misinterpreted God's fatherly hand through difficulties. You see, what we do is we set the, we live in a world that tells you that you can be whatever you want to be. No, you cannot. You're going to be whatever Jesus gifts you to be for the furtherance of his kingdom. And praise God for that. It actually makes it more simple, kind of. But we have resumes and we have dreams and plans and lists of how we're going to live our lives. And then when our lives don't fold the way that we have sovereignly dictated to the almighty of the universe that we have become our own little God to do what we're going to do in life and our dreams get crushed, we raise fists against God and blame him. You're to blame. You're to blame. We approach life wisely making plans. Don't mishear me. Don't just get a lounge chair and sit on your back porch drinking virgin daiquiris. You should follow Jesus and fervently move, follow him every day. Plan as if he's, live as if he's coming back tomorrow, but plan if he's coming back in 100 years. But don't misinterpret trials, difficulties, dash dreams, and more as if God's against you. They did. Their dreams weren't fulfilled, so to speak. The trials were hard, and so they moved away from God. But what if, my dear friends, the trials in your lives is the plow to break up the clods in your heart? To receive more of the word. I suggest to you that it is. Third. The third way that we can grow against dull and hearing. Is to guard against. To be aware of. The cares, riches, and pleasures in life. It's what Jesus talked about in Mark. Our trials and difficulties. And there's cares and there's riches and there's pleasures. Friends, there are pleasures to be had. Sin can be very pleasurable for a time. There are things in this world to build a name for yourself, a reputation for yourself. There's pleasures, there's things to explore, to live the Vanagon life and all the lies that Instagram is going to tell you and more. Living for ourselves, the cares, the riches, or even taking legitimate cares and legitimate things. But this is about making them ultimate things. When the search for a spouse, or your spouse, or your children, or your work, or your education, when anything becomes ultimate and replaces Jesus, and you're willing to sin to get that thing, or sin to keep that thing, that's an idol. And so you have to be on guard against the seductions of the pleasures of life. Moses helps us here. Moses from Hebrews chapter 11. That hall of faith of those who persevered, who are examples of those who did not grow dull in hearing. Hebrews 11 verses 24 to 26. Listen to how Moses responded to his Egyptian version of what it's like to live in our culture today with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. 11.24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather 
to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. All of us need to hear that at every stage in life, especially if you're retired and especially if you're younger and in college. All of us. There is no retirement with Jesus and the expansion and hard work of expanding his kingdom. And my dear young friends in college planning out your life, the seductions that you are facing being raised in your generation, the admonition here is to choose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses had it all. All the women, all the riches, all the opulence, all that Egypt had to offer, it was at his fingertips. And he, the text is truthful. It's pleasures of sin, but it's fleeting, meaning it lies to you. It, it, it does not tell you the truth. It will never satisfy. It will never deliver because it, only Jesus can give what Jesus promises. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ. This is verse 26. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The preacher of Hebrews knows of the dull hearts and so brings Moses as an exhibit forward to say, be like Moses, because Moses looked to Jesus, trusted Jesus, the promises and provisions and person of Jesus and more, that in a world where there is pleasure to be found in sin, it is fleeting, and rather to be reproached, shamed, ostracized, rebuked, even beaten, even killed for Jesus is greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Amen. But the thing about being seduced, it's seductive. And that's what our world does. Every scroll with the finger, every link clicked, every cancer of comparison and looking those around you, the cares, riches, and pleasures of life can cause us to love them more than Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of your flesh, the desires of your eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And the will of God is to repent and believe in Jesus and be built by the gospel for the rest of your life. Fourth, the fourth way to guard against growing dull in hearing is this. 
guard against bitterness. Bitterness chokes a heart from receiving the word. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Here, as the preacher preaches and looks at the people and acknowledges that there's dull hearing, he is telling these believers, believers, be on guard. Yes, there's the seductions of the world, but now within your own hearts, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up in your own heart and causes trouble, and many become defiled. Bitterness is the fruit of unforgiveness. It is offense nursed rather than released. Bitterness is an internal feud against a person that weeds out from your heart and through your lips into the hearts of others. A hard heart that holds bitterness subtly chokes itself from the nutrients of the word and likely doesn't even know it. And especially when bitterness is directed at the preacher and teacher of the word. In my experience as not a pastor and a member of a church and hearing others grow embittered towards their pastor, the preacher that we had, my experience talking to other pastor elders who preach and my own personal experience of 20 years of being a pastor is the comment, I'm not just getting fed, either turns the preacher into a scapegoat for some other problem or means that in some way or some fashion, we have not met someone's expectations. That job description they've written for us, and because of that, we have offended them, and therefore they grow bitter, and they can no longer hear the word preached from us. Nurtured bitterness makes a dull heart. And fifth and finally... The fifth and final way to guard against growing dull in hearing is a fifth and final, there's more, but admonition given in the book of Hebrews. Listen to what he has to tell them and why he tells them, what he tells them. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. He tells these believers with dull ears and dull hearts, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful... And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there's many things to meditate on for the rest of your life in this passage. Not wavering, stirring up each other to love and good deeds. Why is he saying this? Because verse 25 tells us some of them had the habit of not going to church. Some of them had the habit of not going to church, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is some. I want to give you a challenge on this, my friends. Take a personal audit of your attendance on Sundays. 
given what the Spirit of Christ has just said about forsaking the assembly, the realities of cares and riches and pleasures of the world, what do you evaluate as an okay reason to skip church and not assemble with your brothers and sisters? Is Sunday always the first thing to be cut from your schedule or do you use vacation days first? Don't mishear me. There is grace. There absolutely are unique reasons at times that you might be prevented from attending church. There is such a thing as vacation and traveling, to be sure. The main reason, though, here's what I'm arguing against. If the main reason you don't gather is because you love the things of the world, the riches of the world, or the pleasures of life, or you let the, the cares of the world weigh you down, you are in process of destroying your heart. Jesus has designed that what we're doing right now to be the central feature in the life of the gathered church. This. That when you join a church, you marry that church, you covenant with that church, and you belong to that church. And when you're not here, you're missed because the gifts and talents that Christ has given you to build this church are absent and vice versa. You need us we need you. And so, is church the first thing to get cut from your schedule so that you can keep vacation days? What is okay in your estimation? What's an appropriate number of days to miss on a given year? The, if you look at the attendance, and we'll see this a bit next week, most Christians, on average, attend church once a month. So if, you're tra- if, you, if you attend twice a month, you're in the upper echelon of like extreme holiness <laughs> in, our, in America. My question is, what do you think Jesus' expectation is for our church attendance to be? Am I trying to guilt you? Kind of a little bit. A little bit. But see, here's the difficult thing. Many of you, most of you are faithful, regular attenders. Praise God for that. It's sadly the people who aren't here, who are with our family, who need to hear this. What we see then is how you hear matters. Your life depends upon it. Don't destroy your heart. Live for Jesus. Guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life, Proverbs tells us. Jesus says, listen. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear and measure it out. Why? Because Jesus is more than worth it. And the expansion of his kingdom is far more glorious. And us to shine all the brighter for the lost to see the beauty of Jesus, to gather together and to just week in, week out, sort of the word preached and grow to be more like Jesus and help each other know and follow Jesus. That's, that's the point. This assembly of ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven in a watching and dying and broken and, and chaotic world, we are to be the stability and emblem of the gospel of Christ for them to see there, there, there can be hope found only in Jesus. You have the blessed responsibility to hear. You have the blessed responsibility to measure out the word in practice because the Father, Son, and Spirit are the treasure of our souls together. Friends, the condition of your heart conditions your response 
to the word preached. Guard your heart in Christ. Amen? Lord, you have challenged us with your word, and we are frail. We thank you that you know our frailty. We thank you that you know that we um, are dust. And yet, Lord, you have destined us to eternal glory in the Son. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Lord, we love you, but we see that our love grows cold. Lord, we rejoice at your, your word like one who finds great treasure. And yet, Lord, we are enticed by the fleeting pleasures of sin. So, Lord, strengthen us by your grace to choose you over the world and to be your ambassadors in this world for the glory of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.